The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us to discuss reproductive justice, Professor Dorothy Roberts, author of two books, Killing the Black Body and also Torn Apart, which focuses on the child welfare system. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Good morning, Zerlina. Thanks for having me on your program. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. So I want to sort of do a, a one-on-one for people because, you know, if you're listening to this show regularly, I'm I'm sure that you've you've heard our conversations about reproductive justice, but I don't assume ever that everybody listening knows what we're talking about when we even say the phrase reproductive justice. Um, and I think it's important to one-on-one it for people and help them understand um, what the term actually means. So what is the framework for reproductive justice and how is it different from how we traditionally talk about these issues? Reproductive justice, as you described it, is a framework or an approach to thinking about reproductive freedom or the relationship between our reproductive lives and bodies and the state and society, how much freedom we actually have to make reproductive decisions, to have control over our bodies and to be equal in society for our childbearing decisions to be treated as if they have equal value in our society. Uh, And so this can be distinguished from the dominant approach of reproductive rights uh, certainly can be distinguished from the dominant approach that the state should be able to regulate our mm-hmm. reproduction in ways that are oppressive. But uh, it's also distinguished from the mainstream reproductive rights framework, which focuses on an individual's choice. Mm -hmm. So let me distinguish between choice and justice. So choice says we should be able to make choices without the government prohibiting us from making those choices. But it doesn't say that we should live in a society that values our choices or that government should promote our choices or facilitate our choices, support our choices. It doesn't take into account all the ways in which our choices cannot be effectuated because we can't afford them or uh, we have laws that devalue our choices. And so reproductive justice is much more holistic. Uh, First of all, it doesn't just focus on the choice not to have a child, which is the dominant focus of reproductive rights. You know, I think still many people, when they hear reproductive rights, they only think about abortion. They don't think about all the other aspects of our reproductive lives. Mm -hmm. So reproductive justice involves the human right, not only not to have a child, but also to have a child. It takes into account the long history of the devaluation of childbearing by women of color, including laws and programs that 
uh, sought to sterilize women of color. Uh, It also uh, involves the human right, not only not to have a child and to have a child, but also to be able to parent your child, raise your child in a safe and sustainable community. And so uh, it is much broader than the typical view of reproductive rights or reproductive choice. And it also really importantly takes into account all the social, societal, political, economic, as well as legal structures that affect our ability to be truly free. And so just a simple example, reproductive choice did not include the right for government funding of abortion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas reproductive justice would say, yes, you have an affirmative right for the government to facilitate your decision to terminate a pregnancy. That's just a you know, a simple example, but you can imagine that this more holistic, social justice-oriented approach is much more freedom-affirming than the mainstream dominant reproductive choice approach. It's such a helpful breakdown because I think a lot of people are confused by some of the terms, and I think it's important always to start with the definition so that everybody has sort of the the same um, accurate foundation. I mean, I feel like we've centered the conversation around choice. But as you said, you know, a lot of folks, because of um, legal barriers, cultural reasons, history, they don't have choices. Um, I want to hone in on what you said about the choice to raise your family, like the choice, because I think that that's something we just completely ignore. And in the middle of this pandemic, um, not middle, but uh, this, I guess we're entering year four of the pandemic now, it feels like the ability to raise your child um, in a world where, you know, the climate crisis is looming overhead and Um, All of these other issues related to the pandemic have impacted parents' ability to raise their kids in a safe place, um, uh, regardless of even what community they live in. I mean, talk a bit about why that uh, aspect of this conversation is just always left out. We always are talking about what happens about the to the kids and the choices before they arrive and then not after. Yeah, that is is a (laughs) real huge gap in the traditional view of what reproductive rights or freedom or choice include, it doesn't make sense to say (laughs) that you have reproductive freedom if you can have a child, but then are unable to raise your child in a healthy, thriving way. And this nation has left out almost completely in terms of its notions about freedom, certainly constitutional rights and uh, uh, legal uh, entitlements, the idea that we should be able to raise our children in a healthy, safe, sustainable society or community. And in fact, all the ways that the government affirmatively prevents people from doing that, including taking their children away from them when they don't have the resources to care for their children. Uh, you know That is a, an affirmative government intervention that doesn't get enough attention. But mm-hmm. then as you're pointing out, all the societal 
impediments to raising children in a healthy, uh, safe, thriving way. The high rates of child poverty in America. Uh, you mentioned environmental justice, and that's an, an aspect of reproductive freedom that cuts across all aspects of our reproductive <laughs> lives. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the effects of climate change, the toxicity of many communities yeah. that, that impair children's uh, ability to thrive. Uh, it, it, we would have to take into account, for example, the high rates of maternal mortality in mm -hmm. this nation. We have the worst rates of maternal mortality across the board uh, when it comes to Western nations. And it's even worse than in some developing nations. But if you look at Black women in particular, Black women's maternal mortality rate is extremely high. And, and then infant mortality. Uh, black children have a very high likelihood of dying before they reach age one. So, you know, even these very basic aspects of life and death aren't paid attention to mm -hmm. enough and aren't included in our notions of reproductive freedom. But how are children living in America? Uh, it, there are so many conditions the education system, the healthcare system, uh, again, the environment, so many conditions that make it difficult, especially for impoverished families and families of color to raise children. And the way in which our society deals with it is to say, if you can't raise your children in the way the state demands, the state will investigate you, accuse you of child maltreatment and take your children away from you. So, you know, this is why I, I think it's so important to see the connections between reproductive freedom, including the growing bans on abortion and the what I call the family policing system, mm -hmm. what's known as the child welfare system, because they're so connected in the the philosophy behind it, which is parents have the obligation of raising their children without any help, right? right. Without any help. And if they can't do it, uh, if their children have needs, unmet needs, the state will come in and accuse them of child maltreatment and take their children away. This diverts attention from what you raise, Erlina, the, 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 the freedom to raise your children in a supportive, healthy society. It it says we don't have, we shouldn't have that freedom. Right. It should be an individual responsibility. And then it diverts attention from all the structural reasons why children are not being raised in a healthy, safe, supportive way in our nation. It's such an important point to hone in on. And I, I think even as you mentioned, black maternal mortality fitting into this dynamic where you are creating, um, you know, parents that maybe they didn't want to be parents, but um, were in a post Dobbs reality. So now they're in this situation. So if they are lucky, they don't have one of the horrible outcomes um, that you cited in terms of infant or black maternal mortality. So so they are able to have the kid, but then you know, the kid ends up here and they're not able to provide all the things that the kid needs because of the structural factors. And then the child welfare family policing system, as you mentioned, comes into play. I mean, 
And in terms of the black maternal mortality piece of this, I mean, do you envision a world in which now we're in the in this post Dobbs moment, which feels like a different moment than before um, between Roe and Dobbs, right? Um, but the maternal mortality was horrible then. How much worse could it get? Because now you're creating all of these um, situations where people may have made a different choice if they had that freedom, but they don't. Yes. Well, Dobbs is creating a situation where maternal health and infant health in general is at huge risk. As you said, it was already abominable, especially in Black communities, but those are the very communities that are going to feel the brunt of Dobbs the most. And banning abortion only increases the jeopardy to uh, pregnant people's health and the health of their babies they were forced to give birth to. Uh, and that's for a number of reasons. There's just the immediate practical reason that we're already seeing that doctors are afraid of treating mm -hmm. pregnant people because of the fear they may be prosecuted for abortion. So in the case of, say, a pregnant woman who has uh, a, a problem that requires terminating the pregnancy, doctors, uh, it's already being reported that they're mm -hmm. waiting they're until the, the woman is in dire straits and near death because they're afraid they'll be prosecuted for an, un, you know, an unnecessary illegal abortion. So there's that. Uh, that's just, but that's just one piece of it. More broadly, you now have people who were struggling to take care of their families. And most people who have abortions already have children. Right. Uh, so, you know, they're struggling to take care of their children. And a big reason why uh, mothers decide not to have another child is because they can't afford it. They, for you know, either financially, emotionally, you know, for whatever reason, they've made the decision they can't afford it. So now you're forcing someone who has determined, you know, for herself, she cannot handle another child to have a child. It doesn't take a lot to figure out that that is going to put extreme stress on the family and the entire family is going to be devastated by the birth of another child. This has all been well-documented. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's common sense, but it's been well-documented that when, when women are forced to have a baby that they, when they wanted to terminate the pregnancy, it causes all sorts of economic devastation and, and mental health and other kinds of devastation to them. Now, we see that in general, as I already said, the approach of the child welfare system to struggling families is to accuse them of child maltreatment. And in, in many, many cases, you know, tens of thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of cases, children are taken uh, from their families, mostly on grounds of neglect, which is just confused with poverty. But it's even more insidious than this because the Dobbs opinion itself suggested that the solution to forced births was 
that people should put their babies up for adoption. Right. And there's a lot, you know, Ju uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett already suggested that during the Dobbs argument when she asked, you know, why not just leave the baby off at a safe harbor uh, and, uh, you know, give up the child for adoption. Then in Dobbs, Alito's opinion actually says that this is an answer and has a footnote that refers to the de increasing demand and unmet demand for adoptable children. So, I mean, it's just so horrific that it then is proposing that the solution to this struggle that's being forced on families by abortion bans is that they now should give up their children to be adopted. And number one, you know, it, that's just a horrible idea that children become commodities you know, yeah. that are uh, that to meet this uh, demand for adoptable children. But also we know that most women who are forced to give birth do not give up their children for adoption. You know, that is something that it's really cruel to ask someone to do yep. that. And so they're going to keep their children, but now in a more dire, difficult situation. And uh, we see that either these children are going to suffer more uh, or, or they will be, you know, within the family or they'll be taken from their families and put into a foster care system, which we also know is damaging for children. So this connection now between the denial of reproductive freedom in terms of denying access to abortion or even the right to abortion uh, and the way in which the family policing system operates is it's creating just a, a horrific situation that draws us away from the kind of society we should have, which is a society where people are free to make reproductive decisions for themselves and a society that supports their reproductive decisions and is truly free. And that means the decision to have a child, not to have a child, but also to be able to raise your child in a society, not one that accuses you when yeah. you're unable to meet your children's needs and takes your children away, that relies on family separation, right? this traumatic, violent intervention, but instead cares for families, supports families, provides what children need. You know, we, we should take the 30 plus billion dollars that's spent mostly on maintaining children away from their families by our child welfare system and give it to families to right. support them. <laughs> you know, one thing we learned from the COVID experience is that when the Biden administration and Congress provided relief for families in terms of concrete income supports, lo and behold, child poverty went down and children fared better. <laughs> You know, again, these are common sense ideas that uh, obviously we should know that's the case, but studies have shown this. You know, as if right. you need a study to prove it, the studies have proven it. And now there's the question is, oh, should we stop this support for families? You know, that's the that's the question. It's not how do we expand it? 
Right. Right. That should be our focus. How do we expand these supports to reduce childhood poverty even more and stop relying on family separation instead? So, um, yeah, they're 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 definitely connected. But on the other hand, seeing those connections, I think for the first time, people are really understanding that reproductive freedom is not just about bans on abortion. Yes, it, you know, we should be opposing bans on abortion. They are terrible infractions of our our freedom and our our rights, uh, our liberty that the government should be not only uh, uh, not only recognizing but supporting, but also recognizing that there is now, and this is something that hasn't come up in our conversations, Erlina, which we should uh, definitely focus on, the broad criminalization of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who's pregnant now is at risk of state intervention and punishment because of this renewed focus on fetal personhood and the valuing of a fetus over the very life life right. of pregnant people and all the ways in which the state is now seen as uh, able to come in and regulate pregnancy and even punish people if they don't give birth to a healthy baby. Uh, you know, people being punished for miscarriages and stillbirths uh, as well as for abortions. Mm-hmm. So this, we I think we can now see, this is something I wrote about in Killing the Black Body back in 1997. I know. I, I, one of the things I should mention is that um, we were talking to somebody who for decades um, has been at the forefront of making making the case that we needed to completely do an overhaul in the way in which we talk about these issues. And so I feel, I feel, you know, it, it must be, maybe it's probably frustrating um, when, when people are too slow to, to catch up, but I'm so grateful to you, Professor um, Dorothy Roberts for being here this morning with us um, and helping us understand all of this author, professor at the university of Pennsylvania, but also author of two incredible books. You should read killing the black body and also torn apart and i'm so grateful to you for helping us connect all of these issues um because this you know we we can't wait any longer we have to connect it now so that we can move forward in the right direction absolutely absolutely Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.